Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by these great sponsors. When you partner with Axon, you immediately gain access to a full range of products and solutions designed to meet the complex needs of today's grower. We carry all major brands and sizes of tires and wheels. We specialize in large diameter wheels for large equipment. We have one of the largest OEM replacement wheel inventories in North America. Known for extreme flotation setups, duals, and triples, we have wheels for all makes and models of tractors, sprayers, combines, and grain carts. If we don't have the wheel in stock, we'll custom build, sandblast, and paint in-house. There isn't a more vast inventory in North America dedicated to helping dealers move more iron. With facilities on the West Coast and in the heart of the Midwest, leverage our 230,000 square feet of indoor inventory to solve any problem a grower may have. Move more iron with Axon. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800 657 4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving higher time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Moving higher. Hello, man. Welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. I've got Rich Possum from Critical Point Podcast back on here to talk about what's going on. Rich, how are you doing this morning? Very well, thank you. Are you, a, are you a deep fried turkey guy or are you a oven basted turkey yeah, guy? I'm more oven, oven, right. oven basted. Yeah. 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 Me too. I like, I like the oven basted <laughs> stuff. It's, it's more, it seems like it's a lot more tender, a lot more moist. That's, you yeah. know, that's what I dig about it. Big plans for Thanksgiving coming up. You got anything going on? Not huge, just small family uh, gathering. And, yeah. Uh, yep. So. Yeah. I've got going back to Wichita. So we get back there for four days. So we have to go to like, I don't know how many. My wife keeps track of how many places we have to go to, and it's quite an extensive list. So I, I, uh, I kind of hang out and wait to see what happens after that. But uh, Thanksgiving is one of my favorite holidays because there's no pressure. You just, just yeah. eat, eat too much and watch football, and I don't, I don't know how much better of a day you could have. You know what I mean? Yep. It's, like, it's heaven. All right. Well, Rich, you do a podcast called Critical Point Podcast, and talk a little bit about your podcast, where you can find it, and uh, what they can get when they get on there. Okay, so the podcast uh, provides uh, daily, weekly, monthly type updates via audio and video. I don't uh, have a newsletter. Uh, did it with that many years ago, and uh, people just found the videos very useful because they could actually see all these model signals and the opinions and see how well they're working, whether they want to do something on the next signal, that kind of thing. 
So I do put out signals in the stock market and corn, wheat, and soybeans. The rest of the markets I look at and the economy, it's really more analysis and general idea. It's not like a hard, concrete signal. And so I, I look at business patterns and cycles of the economy and stock market and the grains. But I also include crude oil, Bitcoin, uh, the dollar index, and then interest rates and bonds. And lately, I've been even been doing some bond trading myself here, uh, making a long-term move, actually, and I haven't done that in a few years. So they get a wide variety, but the, the primary focus really is stock market economy and those, those uh, three grain markets. And they can find me at criticalpointpod.com. That's a website uh, that explains myself. And there's a blog there and a few other things. But there's a page that will take you over to the host who uh, um, takes care of the podcast. And you can actually go directly to that if you were to have a problem in my site. And that direct uh, address is criticalpoint.podbean.com. And bean is like soybean. <laughs> And if they go there, they'll just see simply a list of uh, audios and videos that's available. And there are links to to sign up and, and get on board with the uh, subscription service. And it is worth giving it a try because, yes, I will fill you in on what's going on. Like I quite often do very well at saying, well, the stock market's going to be up today, down tomorrow. That's short term and it can be uh, quite accurate. But I'm really focused on the larger trends during a month, during a year and for a year uh, for the stock market and all the other markets. And then I expanded into what are we doing for the decade in terms of the economy and stock market? And that's worked very well. And believe it or not, I actually have a uh, major long-term uh, signal when I sell the stock market once a decade and buy it once a decade. And it's related to the economy when it turns down for a recession. And then when the recession's over, we rebuild our economy. We seem to always be able to print the money no matter how much we print it. And we rebuild the economy. It works again. And some examples of that was in 2008, nine, or it was 2009, March 2009, I called a bottom in the stock market. And that was the, the bottom month, but I forget how close I was to the day. And I said, be bullish to 2018, 2021 and expect another recession. We got it. It was a weird one. It's called a COVID-19 recession. <laughs> and uh, so highly unusual, but yeah. it actually worked. We, we got the recession and uh, actually sold out within hours at the top in February, although I had taken a couple stabs at it previously. And then uh, March 2020, uh, I turned long-term bullish two days after the bottom. And I cannot guarantee I'll be that close ever again, but it worked. And I still own investments from 2020 uh, that are up like 100% or something like that. And I don't intend to sell them to near the end of the decade for that type of signal. So the bottom line is I offer things for very short-term traders, more like intermediate, long-term, to even very long-term. And when we get into that long-term, it actually helps uh, business people who may not be interested in where the stock market's going but they just want to handle on markets versus the economy and, and, and where's business going. Uh, so I've done this for decades now. The podcast, I started probably um, five, seven years ago. And uh, it's worked well for me. And we'll just continue to keep knocking out this analysis and see what people can use it for. Right on. So. A lot of good stuff there. I mean, you got it's amazing what you've got on that, on that site. So check that out. Uh, hey, Rich, real quick, we you pull your your uh, webcam down a little bit. You're kind of cutting off your face. There you go. All right. Perfect. There we go. I'll edit that part out. <laughs> All right. 
All right, so let's talk a little bit about the Fed, what's happening there right now. The Fed came out earlier this month um, and said, hey, you know what? We're not going to raise rates like we said we were. We're going to hold off just a minute and see what happens. Uh, you still have the December meeting to come through that can um, – we can still come in and raise rates if we talk, you know, if we want to, those kind of things. Um, never gave any indicator that they were going to do lower rates or anything. They really didn't say anything other than we're not raising rates this time. And, man, did the, did the market react to that. It's a complete reversal, almost 180 degree reversal, what we saw leading up to that meeting. I know it. it's absolutely amazing, and really the market, it's the stock market, has stretched a rubber band going into the end of October. My model was saying this is getting insane. It's irrational. Something has to give, and I finally decided I think they're going to try to be negative right up close to the Federal Reserve, and then they'll buy like the two days before. Well, that's how it worked out. They started buying Monday, Tuesday. And then Wednesday, the Fed come in, and that thing just exploded. And it just kept going well into the next week. And then we got the CPI inflation report, and it went higher still. And this morning, it's trying to pound out a new high since that bottom in October. It's working higher, and the model is saying, well, it should. And I am positive the market into into December. So what really occurred? Well, Again, I think you had some huge players that were just far too bearish. And in late October, they got a low enough to scare the small investor, what we call the retail investor, who finally gave in and sold. And I think they used that as a signal saying, now we got this market beaten up. Those people are going to be wrong. And they started to backpedal a little just in case the Fed Reserve. But the strange thing is when the Fed Reserve come out, like you said, they really didn't give us anything to be bullish. But it's like the market couldn't help itself. It just right. said as as long as it wasn't negative, uh, as long as yes, the Fed yeah. didn't say we are raising rates, let's yep. just go. And they just stampeded over one another. And there's even a billionaire who supposedly had a nominal bet of $1.6 billion to the downside. He made a fortune in 2008, 2009. But uh, he's out from what I understand and basically got burned on that on that position. So just an abrupt change here. And I think the retail investor is behind getting back in. I think there's plenty of money on the sidelines to come back in. I do think the professionals, um, they, they've got some bought. In, they're not as far behind as, say, the average investor out there. They're kind of ahead of this thing. Um, now the dilemma comes there that it rallied so fast. How do you put more money in? Or if you didn't get back in, where do you get back in? And that's where I'm hopeful the model will help us on a short-term basis of picking off some of these moves. Because as you are aware of uh, for a year now or more, I've been saying we want to be bullish for 2024. And in October of last year, I said it's time to be bullish for 2023 and 2024. And that has worked. Uh, but I must say, even I was taken back by late October, just how negative they were. And it just didn't add up, make sense. And I think the market has spoken here saying, yep, that was that was an oops trade. They made a mistake being that uh, negative here. And uh, now, you know, it's just amazing how many people were saying, even watching CNBC, Bloomberg Television is just saying, boy, some of these people were blood curdling negative and, and bearish. And now they're just outrageously bullish just overnight. And uh, so people might be getting a little carried away. We'll have some setbacks. There's always going to be some trickling sure. news on the negative side. But overall, I'm feeling pretty optimistic. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised stock market's up 15, 19% for the S&P 500 uh, next year. 
And, uh, and if that's not a good enough for people, then there are products out there that can make it better for them, that they can handle more risk. And then, of course, stock pickers will do their best to try to find the stocks that will outperform uh, that, that index and that kind of, kind of performance. But, yeah, I think, uh, boy, it's almost like a sigh of relief that people really are convinced we've uh, beaten in the inflation game and the Federal Reserve is going to go away. So let's discuss the future where the Fed's going. Again, they didn't tell us they would not yeah. raise. But dropping the inflation, let's see, we had two months of 3.7% CPI, and then for October, it dropped to 3.2, which was kind of my gut feeling, but I couldn't quite prove it, didn't dare forecast. I just said, I'll take whatever they give me. And so I was pleased with it, and I think the market was very pleased. But really, when you look internal, like on the core inflation, that only slipped like from 4.1 to 4 or something like that. Uh, not necessarily an aggressive change. So again, even the CPA, CPI inflation didn't really give us as bullish news as the market seemed to be, uh, dial in. So I think inflation will be a slow struggle, frankly, going lower. But I will say they're increasingly, there's some big Wall Street firms coming out saying inflation might actually take a nosedive. Uh, CEO of Walmart said they think we better start talking deflation. And when you have inflation, obviously, prices are moving higher. And then when you have disinflation, prices are still moving higher, but the inflation rate is coming down, meaning prices are moving higher at a slower pace. Then when you go in deflation, it means prices are actually got dropping. And if you look at the history of this country, the CPI has basically always gone up. So prices basically always go up. But when you look on a short-term basis, yes, we have moments of sudden drops. Most of the severe drops, though relate to recessions. And we normally only get what I call primary cyclical recession. We get that about once a decade, normally at the beginning of the decade. Sometimes it's towards the end of the prior decade. And so we're not due for that. So to me, I don't think we're going to have aggressive deflation, but a lot of people don't understand that. As soon as they hear the word deflation, they get concerned. Maybe this is one of those things that's too good to be true, (laughs) that, yeah, we like the lower prices, but then we get scared. Is it going to spill over in recession? Well, so far, I would say these big Wall Street firms talking that word deflation are also saying, but it won't spill over in recession. We'll get a, a soft landing. So this is another reason why they bought stocks aggressively is they're thinking this could be a sweet spot when inflation comes down now faster than what we were thinking. But we don't go in the recession. We're just getting back to a normal economy. It's going to be a good thing. And these companies will make money and the stocks will be worth more. Another fascinating, remember the transitory uh battle over that war and or a battle over that word and uh and pretty yeah. soon nobody dared to even mention yeah. it <laughs> mm-hmm. and uh well uh larry summer or lawrence summers who was on the federal reserve i believe and then i think he was a treasury secretary but i forget which president he was one of those who was just pounding all year long the federal reserve better not let up get those rates right up there six six and a half percent just keep pounding it and uh, boy, he's done an abrupt turn as well. He's saying, gosh, maybe this inflation was transitory after all. So I think what's going to happen now is the people missed out on this run up or they didn't get enough bought, kind of missed out. Uh, I think they're going to dial in that things are going to be okay for the next year. And I think that's going to keep us from large drops in the stock market along the way, unless we get some news of something blowing up in the world that that can change it. But would my guess, it would only be temporary though. I really think we are set 
for GDP, and I've said this, that uh, this should last for the rest of this decade of like two and a half, four and a half percent. Inflation can go one to four and a half as well. So we may see a bound, rebound inflation later this decade before the recession. But from now into 2025, I've said the rates or inflation ought to come down, and therefore I think uh, interest rates should come down. And uh, that's looking, you know, I haven't been the only one saying there's been quite a few betting on that, even the Federal Reserve, some of their dot maps kind of pointed towards lower inflation, lower interest rates going into 25. But it looks like uh, things have changed well enough that we need to have some faith in that, take a, take a chance on it. And I think that what's the stock market is telling us, just take a chance that hey, this inflation stuff's over and done. It may not actually go away, but we don't have to worry about it. And Frankly, if I was running the Fed, I would just I wouldn't think of raising uh, interest rates unless the inflation goes back to five and a half. I'd give it some room, wiggle room now. And so I think this is going to uh, I think it's going to work. We're we're going to just keep working this inflation lower, and the economy is going to continue to grow. The consumer was red hot in August. I think it was August. Uh, purchased huge amounts, really backed off in September, which makes sense because they they bought too much basically. And but there's now people doing studies of what's going on shopping malls, and one of them said they hadn't visited a shopping mall in a year. And when they went there, the parking lot, they had to go to the overflow parking lot. It was jammed. Yeah. And you know, so we have a chance maybe of uh, Christmas doing quite well for sales, and Thanksgiving doing quite well. Um, but uh, we'll see. You know, and I'm, I'm optimistic we're going to see a Santa Claus rally in the stock market. And I think this is going to spill over into next year. Just realize there's going to be setbacks along the way. Sure. But I think this negative news, when you're in a solid bull market, you get news that in the past might've made the market go down several months. So it worries people. And then in hindsight, during that growth phase in bull market, you find that same news knocked the market down a couple of days. It could be that different. Okay. And so that's what I'm watchful for of don't overreact to some of this bearish news. I mean, protect yourself if you need, you know, if you think you need to, but just be careful because that's what stung some of these major bears. Like I say, there's multimillionaires and billionaires that they just took a bath on this run up because they were so incredibly bearish. And some of them, I think, some of them may return and sell at times, but I think most of them are saying at times they'll be short-term sellers, but they're now going to be long-term buyers. Right. I think that I think that's where the big boys are going with this. Yeah. So, um, what else can I tell you on the CPI inflation? Again, I think it ought to go down. Well, you know, obviously this should play a role in interest rates. So I believe the Fed does lower rates, and man, it's all over the map. Uh, some people are saying as soon as January, February. That was my uh, next question for you. Is keep, yeah. keep tossing around this March time frame to lower interest rates. So uh, yeah, and uh, yeah. now there's even more of them on March and a few in January. I think yeah. they get a little carried away there. I think I'll stick with May, June, July. I think that's what I said last month. Yeah. Um, I think I'll stick with that, but I can see it coming sooner. It just depends how fast that inflation drops. And will the Fed be concerned of, okay, maybe we ought to put the brakes on it now. We put the brakes on rising inflation. Now let's put the brakes and drop it too fast. But I, I don't know. I got a gut feeling they're going to hold out to late spring, summer. And then they'll drop them. Now, there are some people saying it won't be to late 24. Other people saying, no, it'll start, it'll start a lot sooner, but they might come down slowly. They might skip a few meetings and not do anything. And But 
those same people are saying you might see interest rates really come down sharply in late 24 to 25. Well, that's interesting because I have a story of, yes, I'm bullish 24 and optimistic, but in 25, I am going to look for a hiccup. And I'll see if I can back out, take some profits and get right back in. But I don't doubt we'll see a little something going on there. Well, that may be because the f- we're going to see a little hiccup in the economy, but maybe the Fed says, let's make sure it doesn't turn into something more serious than a hiccup. And that's where they could be more aggressive, lowering the rates. And in my opinion, that'll just create the next boom in 26, 27. So even if we get some issues in 25, I just want to point out to people, I am bullish for this decade. I'm very convinced this uh, will work. And I've been at this with this model since uh, 2000s, but in 90s and 80s, I was also working something like this model. It was kind of discovery phase. And so real time from 80s, 90s, 2000s to now, but I'm a believer in backtesting, proving what you think. And I've done that going all the way back and well in the early 1800s for the history of this country, for the economy, and, and even for some stock indexes actually uh, go that far back. So I know how it's worked, not worked, and feeling pretty. I'm feeling pretty comfortable right today. I almost have a sign of a sigh of relief because really late October was starting to bother me. I'm thinking, why are they that bearish? You know, how can their analysis be off? Well, it was. Okay. And, uh, and I think instead of them trying to return to that, again, I think some of the big boys and girls are, are going to be optimistic now. And I think that supports, supports the market, going to support the economy. I think I'm probably being a little too brave here, but I think even some of this political news stuff, uh, where we're kind of poor thinkers and we get too excited, too much drama, I think it's going to ease back a little bit next year. I don't know how much, though, because, you know, granted, Russia, Ukraine may continue on through next year. Now we have Israel that may continue on through next year. But I am encouraged uh, billionaire Ray Dalio, who was forecasting a war, he was forecasting a financial crisis. He backed off and said he's kind of pleased of what uh, China and U.S. have been discussing here in this latest uh, meeting. He doesn't think you'll see a war, you know, near term, like the next couple of years or something. I think he's still concerned farther out long term that something might go wrong and we're kind of in a cold war. And and uh, I think these people are really looking for some kind of blowout. If they're going to be right, I don't think they're going to be right to the year 2030 when I get my cell signal. I'm that confident of it. And so that's why I want to be cautious of following some of these bearish people in the next few years, because it might hold you back from maximizing your gains, your profits, and doing business and enjoying life a little bit <laughs> before the storm finally hits. And and again, they can be right. I just feel like they're off a few years yeah. and think things can get better first. And then, then we'll discuss that at the end of the decade uh, when I get that cell signal, just how severe is it going to be. So, <laughs> all right. All right, let's talk a little bit about GP, GDP. You've talked about growth and a little bit here already this morning when we've been talking. Uh, all the indicators come out showing that there is growth in the in the, uh, uh, in the economy right now, uh, where we did see some some decline, uh, probably early twenty three, late twenty two. But again, that was coming out of out of the uh, COVID recession. So we talked about that a little bit. But as you look right now, moving forward with the GDP, what are your thoughts there? Um. I, I think we're going to see three and a half to four and a half next year and maybe even early next, uh, the following year, and then probably a little dip in that GDP in 25, uh, but nothing drastic. But uh, 
But yeah, I think uh, we've already seen the, I, I follow the Georgia Atlanta Fed and they have a thing called GDP Tim now and you can even get an app on your phone and they update you a few times in a week with, I don't know, maybe six, seven indicators are following. And the problem is their GDP can, they can get too excited about it. Um, for the third quarter, they were as high as five and a half percent GDP. But you know what? It actually finished at uh, four point something. So they weren't that far off, actually, uh, compared to their prior history. Um, but I think a lot of people misunderstood that, and that's why they got worried the Fed was going to raise their rates. That was for the third quarter annualized. During the fourth quarter, we normally back off on GDP. It's just just how we do business. Uh, the better time of our economy, apparently, is in the summer. And uh, it backed off this time for the fourth quarter, and this is only the first reading, so we don't know for sure where we're at, but they backed it off into the 2% area. And I think that's about right. I think for the end of the year, we'll be in that upper 2%, lower 3% is what I'm thinking. But what I'm saying is next year, I think we're going to have to add a half to even a full percentage point for that annualized uh, GDP. And I think that's pretty good. I'm not so sure we need a a very good GDP for the stock market to be very good, frankly. But uh, I think for most business people and the security of their jobs, they probably like the better, the better the GDP, the more comfortable they may feel, you know? Right. And so, yeah, I, you know, I I think we'll be in that 3% area anyways uh, next year for GDP. Right on. Okay. All right, you've hit on the stock market already. We won't belabor that any longer, but stock market seems to be moving in a good direction. Um, it seems like it's on a fragile footing. I mean, I think if the Fed came out on this in December and said, hey, we're going to raise rates at a quarter point, you'd see a, a, a pretty big crash in the marketplace, I think. Um, and so you take a look at what's going on there, and then you throw in commodities in that mix, and we're seeing some inflationary moves in commodities for sure right now, more than we've probably seen um, – over the last, we're starting to kind of build into that, I think, a little bit into that inflationary commodity marketplace a little bit. Um, and with what's happening in Brazil, as far as the weather patterns we see down there right now, um, looking at those those two things, Rich, what are your kind of what's your 50,000 foot view on, on the stock market and the commodity market right now? Yeah, well, you know, I'm bullish in the stock market and uh, I've done well with it for 40 years, so I'm pretty confident in it. Uh, commodities uh, don't follow the same type of decade pattern. It's there, but it's got a different characteristic. And that's basically because we really, as consumers, can't handle commodities moving up every single year for 10 years. Whereas investors, we, we very much like the stock market going up every year right. for 10. And the stock market shows it can do it. Okay. Right. 10 years nonstop, even though we found periods of history like that. But uh, commodities generally is broken up more, and it has to do with supply issues and demand issues, and, and you're getting more into the microeconomics. But there is a definite macroeconomic force in there. And uh, basically, for commodities, I think we've seen the decade best bull market from 2020 into 21, 22, even 23 for some commodities, depending on which commodity you look at. And I do think commodities back off into 25, 2025, maybe only the late 24, just depends what's going on. But I will point out, at least for the grains inside of these, the commodity group, you can get a weather issue, you can get a supply issue. So we could even see an explosive move in 24 off weather, perhaps. I don't really have enough data now for that, but I know my C model, which is based on patterns of yield from year to year and production, and I do it in temperature production or um, precipitation. 
And it, what I was saying, and I, I told people this many years ago, 20, I think about 2016 was the first I started talking about, especially to some commercial global companies, uh, expect a bull market in grains in 2021 to 2024. And I said, it can start sooner than that. It could work its way up into that. And then I said, uh, also expect a rise in inflation because super cycles were, should be turning up then. And I said, expect a rise in interest rates, whereas the super cycles actually bottomed for the economy and stock market back in 2009. So they split apart. And in August 2020, I did say to people, hey, we got a super cycle bottom in interest rates finally. And I said, if inflation didn't bottom back in 2008, 2009, it's going to bottom with, with this interest rates. Well, the COVID made the inflation uh, move over to combine with the interest rates. So uh, I've been right that this came to fruition that helped push these commodity prices higher, but it's really the best move per decade. So I'm a little reluctant to say commodities will be much higher later in a decade. If we had a 1970s inflation scenario, and I do not believe we do, but I know there are some similar characteristics, uh, then then we could see firmer commodity prices later this decade. But I think if there's going to be big up moves later this decade, probably another weather crop problem, and even more so if we don't get it in 2024. And let's just talk a moment on that crop problem before I switch back with these commodities inflation. I will say that uh, I have that C model, and it's saying the best decade type up move should be over by 24 if we haven't already seen it. And, and we haven't really seen the crop problem to drive it. So I think it's out there. It can happen next year. But um, the uh, I have an R model. And the R model is a little bit different. It uses some other things like even cosmic rays and sunspots. and has various inputs of what can impact climate. And that model was active, or what I call active, from 2015 to 2019 when it was warning we can have one or more crop problems. And in 2017, we got a problem in soybeans and wheat in the U.S. We didn't get the problem in corn, which was a bit baffling to me at that time. And I remember working with some big commercials, global commercials, and I used that model to help with forecasting of issues in 2016, 2017 down South America. They had La Nina, Argentina took a big hit. Brazil got clipped some. And then even Russia, I believe, was in that time frame of a problem, so it helped there. But the corn waited to the last year, 2019, I thought, where is this problem? What What's going on here? And it was a weird problem. It wasn't hot and dry. It was wet and, and uh, cool. And yet we knocked the yields down, okay? And we altered production. And it did create a bounce for the summer, and then it was all over. But the point is it did meet the definition for a crop problem. So it worked. But the model then uh, deactivated, meaning you don't use it. But uh, we have, in recent weeks, I told subscribers, um, I'm reactivating the model. We have the ingredients, the input. Now, I'm also warning them, and therefore I'll warn everybody listening to this, I'm being more aggressive. I'm being more of a timer, whereas that R model, normally I'd wait for a lot of evidence, and sometimes all the way till March, April, you know, just before we start the planting season. And I could be making a mistake of being too early on it. It might backpedal. Even if, even if it, for some reason, didn't work, that could reactivate over the next two years even and make even more serious problem late this decade. But today, uh, I'm very intrigued with that model. It's It's got the inputs there when I'm saying we now need to watch for crop problems 2024 to 2028. 
uh, and cited that if I use the C model, it's pointing to the most important problem ought to be in 24 if it will work and nothing's guaranteed. And then there should be a second uh, most important, uh, a little less of a problem around 26, 27, interesting enough. Now that can move around over time, but at least this gives us a guide to, to watch for signs of when things might change that supply story and make it more bullish, you know? And there are people watching the Gleisberg cycle, such as Sean Hackett works with that. Yep. From what I understand, that runs a range of 2023 to 2027. Now that's based more on tree rings. If you use the sunspots where it was discovered, it's a wide range. I wouldn't be surprised it already occurred and is it going to work the way they're predicting. But I don't want to be against them either because it may still work. And but what I'm fascinated is if I take that Gleisberg and use that R model and the C model, then maybe it's 2024 or it's 2026, 2027. Okay. So we'll see what we get. Obviously, you know, you can do all the work you want, but until you see the crop grow, you really don't know. You know, there's That's just right. no, no way of knowing for sure. And, that is uh, for sure. And so, but I am intrigued by it that uh, we could get that kind of a bull run. And then what I think happens in 2025, we see a really good crop. We see lower prices and that'll coincide with my lower inflation in the 25. And I have commodity indexes where the model is bearish in the 25. So I think grains can like be the rebel or renegade and go the opposite direction maybe next year. Then they're just going to snap right back to be in line with the commodities. And I'd also warn that when I look at precipitation, uh, we've actually declined in the Corn Belt for a few years now in precipitation. It's a little unusual to last that long. So if you want this crop problem, you better pray you get it in 24 because somewhere during this decade, we're going to snap back to very good precipitation and very good crops. So we could see things turn on a real dime where it makes a very bullish scenario for one year and the next thing you know, it's quite bearish for a year or two. Okay. And it's been a while since we've pounded out a, a new record high in, um, and corn yield and even soybeans are kind of stalled. So yeah, I, I think we'll see some good crops, you know, later this uh, decade, but there's still that chance for a crop problem sometime. And uh, for the moment, I have to give it a chance here next year and we'll see what we get and then reevaluate it. Uh, but how this relates to all the other commodities, I, I think what you're looking at is the world and the U S is getting back to a better balance of supply and demand. We're increasing production, actually. And uh, I think that just calms down these markets. I think you've seen the big bull run here in just the, the recent years here in general. But grains can get a uh, – could perhaps relive a, a glorious run up here in, uh, next year uh, and be a little bit different than the other commodities. Yep. And, and that will be interesting to see – some might say, well, we don't want to see the grains up because then inflation's going up. Well, really, in my commodity index work, I'm not so sure it'll make that big of an impact. What you have to watch out for is will all the commercials and all the other commodities jump on board of that and try to fight for a higher price because grains are higher? And will the then end users panic and try to hoard uh, commodities by ahead? And will then that make it worse and spread it throughout commodities when those other commodities really shouldn't go up? If the Federal Reserve sees the majority of the list of maybe 30 commodities going up, they're going to worry that uh, something's still amiss here of too much money running around out there. And then they will be worried that uh, they're going to have to start fighting inflation again. But for the moment, I think this grain thing is is, is just for the grains. And I think the overall commodities uh, – 
won't give us all that big of a problem here in the next couple of years on inflation. Same, same for crude oil. I realize OPEC can be powerful and they're already trying to maybe work it a little harder here for some cuts here, but um, we've got record production in oil. And even though the Fed or even though the government needs to buy oil for its uh, strategic reserve, our production is so high. And with our exports, that, that to me, that exports can almost be another reserve. That if we're in trouble, we can say, sorry, we're not going to deliver you that oil. We want it for ourselves. So that creates a cushion here. So I'm not too worried how quickly they can rebuild that strategic uh, reserve uh, at these prices. I think they better be working at it <laughs> to be safe. Uh, don't blow it after such a actually pretty good move. And and by the way, unfortunately, the government blew it on the interest rates. So we should have been locking in longer term <laughs> rates, you know. Uh, but at... Uh, for the moment, I, I think we're on track to lower this inflation, but keep in mind the grains could do their own thing here right. and, and give us a nice bounce uh, uh, next year. I didn't I didn't uh, fully talk about on interest rates. I do think they're going to back off into 2025, and I think I just detected a what I call a minor long-term bottom. It's kind of a three- to four-year pattern. Think of how a decade works and you divide it into quarters and stuff like that. Um I so I actually bought bonds for the first time in years, even though I give many buy signals during that time. I just don't personally have an interest in trading bonds, but I help my subscribers saying, if you want to buy bonds, here's a signal. Uh, I like the stock market. I think there's more money to be made in that. But uh, th- this one intrigued me this time around. And I thought, what if these people that think interest rates really could drop hard and fast would make a nice little investment? So I don't have a big position on it. But I own bonds. I'm profitable this morning, even though I got in a little later than I wanted off of that bottom. And uh, so I think we've got a chance to ease these interest rates back into 2025. And then you might want to think about that they're going to rebound a little later in the decade because normally interest rates will be moving up when you go into that uh, peak for the economy per decade and that once a decade sell signal. So we'll want to keep in that in mind eventually. But for the moment, I think we could be hitting a close to a little sweet spot here and get the stock market up there and ease the interest rates back. Yep. All right. So I called you about something on this interest rate thing. I called you about something that was kicking around in my head and kind of wanted your opinion on it. And in the in the reverse of what you were talking about. So I called you about, hey, some short term uh, lending that's uh, maybe coming up right now. You know, you're looking at seven and a half, eight percent on on uh, equipment trends right now equipment lending right now um but if the federal reserve decides to come in and start lowering rates and those kind of things um you could see something over the next three to four to five years where if you lock in something right now you could be two or three percent under that by the end of time by the time that your note comes uh at your when you've paid off your note what's your thoughts on variable rate financing right now with some of these signals that you're getting from the Fed that there may, maybe, um, even if things just stay the same, I mean, it'd be one thing. But I guess as you're looking at, at variable rates, I mean, what's your thoughts on that? And do you feel like that's a strategy that you should take a look at? As anybody who's actually done things with variable rates over the years, I think they could be more confident in an idea of, yeah, let's hold out and see if we can get that rate down and then maybe lock it in a little later. Um, and I'm talking Keep, short term here. I'm talking yeah. three to five years, right? So. Yeah. So I think uh, I think uh, there's a good opportunity for that. I mean, that's why I bought bonds. I'm feeling pretty confident they're probably going to lower rates next year. 
and that could spill over into 2025. It may even spill over in 26. I think you should get out 27, 28, 29, but I start thinking of a little rebound in rates, and I don't know if it'll be little or large. Um, but I, I think there's an opportunity for that. And uh, I can see people who have done it in the past might feel more comfortable. People have always locked in rates. Um, you know, to me, uh, rates rallied too fast, okay, relative to the economy. There was, it was not necessary to do that for the economy. It was necessary to try to change the attitude of people and businesses to fight inflation, okay? Well, now we're winning that battle on inflation, so we don't need to do that. So we really don't need these rates staying this high. So I think Wall Street's got it right. I think the banking community's got it right. And I realize there's some that they're on the opposite side of this. They think they're going higher anyways. But again, something abruptly changed here in the last two weeks where you have more than I've seen in a year now of people and businesses saying it's time to actually drop the rates. And I think it could work. And so somebody can work with that, then you don't lock it in. You wait to see if you can get a, a lower rate uh, down the line. I can tell you on real estate side, uh, you know, we've seen, the de- yep. we've seen the demand back off here because, gosh, uh, when, once it went to 8 9 10% mortgages, it just stopped, you know. Right. And uh, I would say it hasn't caused any serious problem in the real estate business, but you can see things are, co- are cooling off, and I think the real estate prices should cool off into 2025. And um, but I think what will happen is you start bringing those ri- those uh, some of these real estate prices down, but you also bring the rates down. You don't have to bring the real estate prices down a huge amount. Suddenly, right. people will see that balance saying, "Well, now I'm going to lock in that rate. Now I'm going to buy that home, whatever." Mm-hmm. Uh, so we'll still de- see decent demand. This is not. The setback in real estate is not the 2008-2009. That's where we ran the problem with exploded uh, prices extremely high, but we also ran the rates up. Then we ran into the debt crisis side where you couldn't get financing, things weren't liquid, and then the real estate price just crashed so that people were caught with a home that was worth half the what they paid for it. The bankers wanted more money. We're nowhere near that kind of scenario. We cleaned and fixed that system, that type of system up. Okay. So uh, we're just looking for some modest setbacks here and the same thing for interest rates. I mean, my work on the 10 year treasury note, Hey, we've been, uh, you know, close to 5% there and I can see it coming back to 3% in the next two years. So, you know, if you're up there at that seven or 8%, gee, suddenly five sounds a heck of a lot better than eight. So, (laughs) So I think there's an opportunity here for short-term people um, to do that. You know, if they were, you know, if they were long-term trying to lock in for 30 years, I don't know. You know, yeah. who, who knows what goes on by 10 or 20 years? From, <laughs> yeah. You know, but yeah, for short-term, I I, I get it. I uh, I yeah. think it's I think it's okay to do that. And like I say, I've even put my money on the on that in that direction because if you buy bonds, which is what I did, uh, what you're saying is rates are going lower. And that bond's going to be worth more money. So what I'm really doing is trying to lock in those six, seven percent rates with the idea I might get out at five or four. And right. and it converts to a capital gain because it's, you know, I might be in for like the 10-year treasury note, but it's very liquid. I can get out in two years. I don't have to stay with it for 10 years, you know. Sure. So so yeah, I uh, I think there is an opportunity to take a chance here on this lower industry. Uh, I think it makes some sense. Right on. Okay. Well, Rich, that's good stuff, man. Um, if any closing thoughts on, on this stuff as we head into this Thanksgiving holiday? Uh, no, Thanksgiving can, I think it's going to be kind of 
uh, quiet here, maybe in the stock market and maybe a little selling right after Thanksgiving. That's kind of seasonal. You even get holiday traders. But I got a feeling the stock market will be higher in December. I think we'll probably see a return of discussion of Santa Claus rally. I think we're going to see Wall Street and bankers saying this might be a better ending to the year than what they thought six months and 12 months ago. The attitude has changed. Yep. It had you abruptly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Overnight. I mean, there's some some professionals there, well-experienced professionals that they now believe it, but even they're behind, you know, they didn't think it would turn at that speed. So it, uh, light speed, no doubt about that for sure. All right, Rich, appreciate you being on the podcast. Uh, one more time with where they can find your podcast, Critical Point. Go to criticalpointpod.com, or if you just want the list of the audio videos and click on them, you can go to criticalpoint.podbean.com. And again, bean is like soybean. And they can also, uh, on Twitter or X, they can uh, ping me, ding me, whatever it's called, <laughs> at rich underscore possum, P-O-S-S-O-N. And they can email me at rich at ag-financial.com. Yeah, it used to be uh, you tweet at somebody. Now I don't know if you X somebody. I don't know what you're doing now. Yeah, so I, I can't quite get on to that. So yeah. <laughs> I still right. call it Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Well, Rich, appreciate you being on the podcast. I'll have a chance to talk to you between now and then. Happy Thanksgiving, and we'll talk to you again in December. All right. Thank you, and you have a good Thanksgiving. All right, on, man. I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Moving Iron LLC. Go to LinkedIn at Moving Iron Podcast. I've got Snapchat now. You can go to Moving Iron Podcast on that. And I've got TikTok. Got that now. So you can check me out there at Moving Iron Podcast. You can see the video version of this over on the YouTube channel, which is the Moving Iron Podcast YouTube channel. And you can go to movingironllc.com for everything Moving Iron related. Got some big announcements coming out here over the next couple of months. And uh, we will have a good time. Uh, when they come, those come out, we got the Moving Iron Summit coming up here in Nashville, Tennessee. It's weird to talk about a year away, but it'll be here before you know it. November 11th through the 6th, no, that's not right. November 4th through the 6th. Check that out there. Rich is going to be there. He's going to be giving some talks on what he sees happening in the economy. So looking forward to that. So with that, I'm Casey Seymour with Rich Poss and the Scooby Smart folks. Out. When you partner with Axon, you immediately gain access to a full range of products and solutions designed to meet the complex needs of today's grower. We carry all major brands and sizes of tires and wheels. We specialize in large diameter wheels for large equipment. We have one of the largest OEM replacement wheel inventories in North America. Known for extreme flotation setups, duals, and triples, We have wheels for all makes and models of tractors, sprayers, combines, and grain carts. If we don't have the wheel in stock, we'll custom build, sandblast, and paint in-house. There isn't a more vast inventory in North America dedicated to helping dealers move more iron. With facilities on the West Coast and in the heart of the Midwest, leverage our 230,000 square feet of indoor inventory to solve any problem a grower may have. Move more iron with Axon. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online to agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. 
TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's IronComps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. Moving higher in the 21st century. Hard work. 